Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the godfather of multidirectional speed development, the man himself, Lee Taft. It's an awesome show. Can't wait for you to listen. But before we get there, I want to give you a quick recap of the week or week and a half that was. As you probably already know, it was a very busy <laughs> seven to 10 days for me. Really, the focal point being getting the complete coach certification out the door. So as you know, it's like a two-year process from when I started thinking about doing this. And then the last six months, it was three months of you know pulling all the content together, shooting the videos, and then another two to three months of working on the back end and cultivating and developing the website, the supplemental materials, the marketing materials. So Needless to say, there was a lot going on with that, but I could not have been happier with how this first launch went. Very, very happy with the response that I've gotten. I've gotten amazing feedback. If you follow me on the gram, I've been trying to repost as many of those little uh, video clips as I can. First off, thank you so much. Truly, truly appreciate it. And I hope you got a lot out of it. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, don't worry. March 2020 will be here before you know it. And you can always go to completecoachcertification.com. Get on that next insiders list so that when you know that next launch period rolls around, you're on the insiders list and you save yourself 200 bucks. So complete coach certification. Awesome. Next, I spent last weekend in Seattle. Awesome time there as well. Got to hang out with my guys, Luca Hasavar, Joel Jameson. was It's always kind of a split of work and leisure. So got to lecture on Sunday at Joel's BioForce Certified Coach Seminar that he hosts every year. And just really lecture isn't the right word. It was like one part lecture, but then a lot of hands-on. And basically what we did during that time was how do you rebuild the big lifts? So squatting, bench pressing, deadlifting. How do you find variations that work better for your gin pop clients or your athletes? Or how do you coach them? maybe a little bit differently. If it's not a variation difference, if it's a coaching difference, like how do you put these pieces together so that you don't have to train and move like a powerlifter? Because unfortunately, a lot of the big lift coaching that we see is powerlifting dominant. So hopefully I opened a few eyes there, definitely got some people to think and to talk about, hey, you know, this is how I was taught, but is this the best way to coach the clients and the athletes that I'm working with right now? So That was an awesome lecture. Every year we go up and we hang out at Joel's cabin. Now, this is kind of a funny story, but last year when we hung out at Joel's cabin, we were just messing around and he's got like a gator, I forget the exact name of it, but it's like an off-road vehicle and we were up in the mountains and throwing rocks and basically being little kids for a day. Well, this year, Ariel, his girlfriend said, oh, you know, we should go for a hike. So we're looking at various hikes and Joel says, oh yeah. This is like a moderate rating. It's four miles. And okay, so we're off and running, right? And about an hour in, my thighs and my glutes, I mean, like pumped, pumped. It's like I'm doing like escalating density training or something like that. My legs are about to explode. And I'm like, man, what is going on? And, you know, they're looking at like the little map and they're like, oh, yeah, we're only like halfway. So one thing that's very important, if you ever go on a hike with somebody, you need to clarify when they say the mileage are they talking about the round trip mileage or are they talking about the one way mileage? So in our case, it was a four mile hike one way. (laughs) And what we also failed to notice was that when we were taking the original route that was four miles round trip and moderately ranked, this one was four miles one way and it was difficult. So (laughs) it was like a four mile hike, which took like two hours and 15 minutes. And we went up about 2000 feet of elevation. So, I mean, you talk about just getting destroyed, right? And I'm wiped. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I thought I'm done. I'm shutting it down. But then the really bad part is you you have this realization that, oh man, like now I'm four miles out. I still have four more miles to go and I've got to go downhill. So if you know anything about my body type, big quads, big butt. So (laughs) literally now I'm trying to decelerate a couple tens of thousands of times going down this hill man, I was just absolutely destroyed. I was limping. (laughs) The worst part was I get into bed that night and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I just want to go to sleep. I actually start to get a Charlie horse on my left leg. It's to the point where I'm like trying to straighten my left leg. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. So like my lateral, you know, my biceps femoris, my lateral hamstrings like cramping. So I like bend my knee 
and then I like bring it towards my midline. Well, now like my semi-membranosus and tendinosus. So now my medial hamstrings start charley horsing. Dude, I thought I was going to die. It was like the worst experience I've had in a long time. But cramping and muscle soreness aside, it was an amazing trip. Had an awesome time. Other news, all my NBA players are out the door. Crazy to think, but man, five months, it's gone. Like we started in April with our pre-draft crew. We got a lot of our overseas guys back in April, or excuse me, in late April, early May, and we've been rolling ever since. So it seems like forever when you're in it, but now today was my first day without them. It feels like weird. It's like empty nest syndrome. So NBA players are off, wishing all of them the best of luck this year. I think they're all going to go out and crush it. And it's just time for me to shift gears a little bit. And now it's time to refocus and just kind of re, re-energize myself over at iFast. And Project World Domination is back in full effect over there. So that is that. Kiddo sportsing. Kids are just cruising along in their sports season. Kindle's almost done with fall ball softball. Another 2-0 weekend. I think we finished up our regular season at 7-10. and 10. It's not necessarily about wins and losses, but it always goes a little bit easier when you are winning. So the the girls are happy, and the best part is they're getting better. They enjoy the game. They're having fun. You can see their development, whether it's hitting the ball, whether it's running the bases, just getting outs. You know, it it ate you. Anytime somebody can field a ball and throw it to first and they catch it and you get an out, like that's a huge deal. So it's been fun to watch them. And then before we jump into this week's show, I don't want to do a full-blown deep thought because there's been a lot going on. I didn't even mention the dog that we're fostering right now. That guy's been uh, quite the piece of work here and taking a lot of my my time and energy here. But my random musing for today is just aspire to be great. And this is something that I want to constantly put out in the world. So it may be once a quarter, it may be twice a year, but I constantly want to put this vibe out there to you that, look, mediocrity is easy, right? It's really easy to just wake up and say, yeah, I'm going to sleep in and I'm going to give about 50% when I coach my clients today. And, you know, I can save my con ed for another day. I'm just going to like binge on Netflix for about the next two, three months straight. Like that's really easy to do. And it's honestly probably not 100% you. I'm assuming most people that are interested in like mediocrity and just status quo, they don't listen to this show, right? They listen to something else. So when I say aspire to be great, sometimes that puts people off. So don't let it because I think what some people misconstrue that to mean is that, you know, you have to be the best or you have to be the greatest, right? Like we're not all Muhammad Ali, you know, some of us are just trying to be our best or our greatest. So the way I think of it is, you know, it's about doing the absolute most with what you have and the cards that you're dealt, right? We're all at different places in life. I am going to give my absolute best effort in every endeavor with all my clients, with all my athletes, with my children, with my wife, like we talked about in last week's show, all in, all day, every day. But we all have different cards and we all have different lifestyles that we want to pursue. So I'm not going to do the 14, 16, 18 hour grind at work every day. Like that doesn't work for me anymore. That's not feasible given the lifestyle that I want to create for myself. But that doesn't mean that when you are into your con ed or you are into your coaching or whatever it is you're passionate about, give it your all, give it your best effort, aspire to be great. And I'm going to leave you with this. What can you do right now today that will help you get better or that will help you on your quest to become great? Because I think one of the other issues that we we struggle with these days is we're just overwhelmed and we're overloaded, bombarded constantly with information and do this, do that. And schedule this and create to-do lists and create an action plan. It's like, man, sometimes it's like, forget all that. Sometimes you just need to get momentum going in your direction. You need to break the inertia. Okay. So what's one thing that you could do the second you stop listening to this show, or you could pause this show right now. What's one thing that you could start doing that is going to help you become greater, right? So I just want to put that bug in your ear. Always think about how can you personally aspire to be greater, to play at a higher level, to become more than what you are today. And it's this balance in life, right? It's being okay with who you are, being okay with where you're at. Like, yeah, that's cool. But also without necessarily this massive expectation, but having this desire to be greater and to explore new things, to find new challenges in life. And so if you can kind of balance 
that tug of war between being okay with where you're at and still wanting to be greater, then I think you're really setting yourself up to be successful. All right. So enough for me. We're going to take a quick break and then we are going to jump into this amazing show with Lee Taft. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentus Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Lee Taft is a speaker, consultant, and coach for people across the globe who want to get faster. Whether it's working with high-level athletes or taking a staff and helping them take their speed game to the next level, Lee is a guy that can help you get there in record time. In this show, Lee and I talk about the new training elements he's added into his programs, why he's such a big proponent of using bands in speed development, And then we go on a deep dive to look at the mistakes coaches make when training speed development with their athletes. Whether you're talking linear speed, deceleration, change of direction, or anything in between, this show is chock full of great information. But enough for me. Let's do this. Lee, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for inviting me, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, but yeah, you know, I've been been involved with it for a long time, you know, started out as a teacher, you know, and I think that was one thing that gave me an advantage early in my career is I was never afraid of working with groups and teams. And, you know, as a as a strength and conditioning coach that would work in a, you know, a high school or college or pro team, you got to be able to manage groups. Mm -hmm. And I think we see nowadays, we're seeing a lot of youngsters coming out of college without that kind of background. They have a tremendous knowledge of physiology and, and performance and things of that nature and execution of exercise to a degree. But then you put them in front of 40 athletes and say, okay, ready to go. <laughs> they, <laughs> right. they freeze. So I think my background, having been a teacher, having coached many sports, understanding sports. So I was a head football coach, basketball coach, tennis, track. I grew up in it. So I, it kind of, when I went to strength and conditioning, I can say, yeah, I've been there. I've seen it, you know, yep. and I played a lot of sports. So I think that helped me a lot growing up and you know, was fortunate to learn from a lot of people like yourself and other people that put great information out there. And I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner and, you know, kind of brought me here today. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And what's new with you since the last time we chatted, I was looking at our, our Skype log here and we haven't done a show in like a year and a half. So what's, what's been going on with you in the last year or so? Yeah. You know, one of the things I try to do is more like smaller group type, you know, I guess you could call them, we call them a retreat, but it's kind of something I know, you know, Bill has done some stuff there as well, mm-hmm. but we've tried to tr- create a uh, an emphasis on allowing people to get their in-depth questions asked and actually have time to spend on it. Yeah. You know, when you're at, you know, let's say perform better or whatever, and you're on stage and people raise their hand and ask a question, you know, you give the you know, you give the 30 second answer, right? You know, and you're, and you have to, yeah. Well, in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh gosh, there's so much more I could go. So I hope people don't, you know, run with this and not understand (laughs) there's more to it. So that's why we did it. We do a tremendous amount of film breakdown, evaluating movements, not only movement of my athletes, or if they bring 
video of their athletes, but also them. So I'll, I'll videotape the coaches themselves. So they're feeling it. And then we can show them with slow-mo and some breakdown of it. So we do a lot of that. That's been a big emphasis. And then, of course, just, you know, consulting, doing a lot more consulting lately. So, yeah. yeah. That's busy. That's awesome, man. I love it. And we've already obviously covered a ton in our previous interviews. So I'll make sure I put those links. If you haven't listened to those shows, make sure you go check those out. But what I want to do is kind of break this into two sections. I want to do some new stuff that I know you're working on. I want to answer some Q&A type stuff. And then I want to talk about mistakes. So I'm really excited about the show. But let's start with new stuff, including spatial awareness. So this is something you and I were talking about via email before we hopped on here today. But I want to get your insight. Why is spatial awareness important? And how are you working that into your speed training? Yeah, great. I appreciate the chance to share that because it's funny. When I was a when I was in college and I was a phys ed teacher, you know, we always got taught about spatial awareness, body awareness, you know, when we're working with our students and all this and that. And you kind of say, yeah, good. Okay. And then you, <laughs> and then you kind of go about your day. Right. Well, I, I over the years, I kind of paid attention to it, but I never really compartmentalized it into, you know what? I need to put some emphasis on this because this is a problem. Right. And it's a problem if we look at the spectrum of development of just general fundamentals and all the way up to very specific development, it falls in that general development. So an example of it might be in, you know, an athlete running and you ask them now to maybe change directions or spin their body and continue now into a back pedal or something of that nature. Okay, so there's two things going on. There's body awareness. Yep. Okay, so when I actually execute that skill, where do my limbs go? How do I make that movement more fluid? So if I, if you asked me, you know, to run on a five-yard line, so from side like on a football field across the sideline, so I'm on that white line, and you said at least stay on the line, but I want you to turn and rotate and, and maybe go into a shuffle and then spin, do a shuffle the other way. Can you stay on the line? Okay, that's spatial awareness. Do I understand where I am to execute this? Now, let's say, you know, you and I work with basketball a lot. So Mm -hmm. let's say all of a sudden I'm defending somebody and I get a screen coming at me and I now have to make myself skinny to either get (laughs) over the screen, under the screen, you know, in between. That's awareness. That's being able to execute this this lateral shuffle in that case or crossover run, whatever but still understand where I am in space. So we've, and, and what we try to do is do it very submaximal, okay. very submaximal. So it's almost, it can fit anywhere you want. It could be recovery. It could be warm up. It could be in the body and you can go maximal, but we find if we let it go submaximal athletes, just build an awareness of it. And then they, you know, it's like riding a bike. They get better each week. They do it. Right. And I think I can just imagine going through that too. If, if you're chasing like a maximal effort, it's probably a little bit forced and rigid versus more fluid and athletic, which is, I'm assuming, kind of what you're chasing there, especially if you're like with a developing or young athlete. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, because we we need them to feel their way through. You know, you mm-hmm. as someone that's really good with lifting, you might have somebody on a tempo squat and say, I want you to feel every range of motion. Like as you go yeah. from the, you know, the unrack, unracking the bar to down to parallel. I want you to feel the positions. Well, it's kind of like that with the movement. Let's go submaximal, feel your way through it. And then we'll know when we can go fast, you know, we yeah. can go quicker, but it's kind of the same thing. That's awesome. So another thing that you had mentioned when we were going back and forth was this 180 series that you're working on. So I'm really curious. I'd love to know what that is first and foremost, yeah. and what you're addressing with that type of training. Yeah, you know, I'll I tell you, this to me is one of the most fun things I've been doing and exciting. I do it with my athletes. I, I do it anytime I consult. I've been implementing it, and I keep adding to it as I learn more once I get feedback from it. So, for example, let's kind of go back to that spatial awareness concept when I talked about, you know, running forward and yep. doing a 180. Okay? okay, so now I'm running forward up the gym. And I turn and I do a 180. These are very submaximal, so below okay. even 50% most of the time. You're just letting them feel it. I'm getting several things. So let's start about. Let's talk about you know kind of awareness first of all, body awareness and range of motion. When you have an athlete run forward, their ankles, their feet, their toes, everything goes through a range of motion. The knees, their hip. Now when I turn them backwards the absorption of those forces and going through that range changes because now I have to drive dorsiflexion, but I do it from the front side back. 
mm-hmm. where when I push off jogging forward, right, my heel hits, I'm in plantar flexion because my foot kind of flops down. Yep. I roll, oh, my body rolls over in a dorsiflexion, I push off. Now when I go backwards, the, the balls of the feet touch, my shin is forward, and now I'm driving dorsiflexion right off. So as a warm-up protocol, I get some really good feedback from the athletes, and I do it myself. I'm like you. I'm yeah. my own guinea pig, and I, it's helped me as I've gotten older. That stuff helps me warm up a lot. So now we start looking at it from moving in and out of an axis or around an axis. So if we take a vertical axis, okay, if you yeah. look at me jogging forward, and moving forward, kind of athletic, you know, not not like a real tall sprinter, but kind of, you know, I'm ready to make a play. Yeah. I should have a line from my head down or through the center of my mass. My like my head and face should be in front of that line. Mm-hmm. So as I'm moving forward, almost like I'm slightly accelerating, but I'm not you know, because I'm not going very fast. So now when I perform my 180, it should reverse. So as I turn around, my head and body's still in front of that axis, but yet I'm going backwards. Right. So soon because what happens if my head goes behind it, now I fall backwards, right? Right. So we're we're letting the athletes feel where they need to be and how they need to load because at the end of the day, that back pedal isn't the end of the skill. It's usually like I'm backpedaling because I'm going to make a play. I'm going to break off. I'm going to stop, go forward, and maybe break on an angle. So we're trying to get them to understand. Move around these axes by keeping your head and your face, and particularly your eyes, because that's your driver, in front of this vertical axis. As when we start getting behind it, now there's that even a subconscious level of panic. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're we're missing things. So, so if we go to just the movement, so let's say I have you do a 180 and you go forward, we let you backpedal the rest of the way. Yeah. And then the next time, I'm going to have you go forward, but what you're going to do is you're going to delay your head. So right now we're looking at each other. If I'm running at you and I start my 180, my head stays on you as far as I can until I've gotten my hips around. Okay. Now I start my, now I'm in my back pedal. Once I get a couple steps, now I let my head release. So that would be, that would be a driver of T-spine, cervical spine. My lower body has to react to that. Right. The next time my head turns quickly. So I'm coming in at you. The minute I turn, I whip my head fast. And it's amazing because when we had this retreat thing we did and when I took the coaches through, they're like, holy cow, that's amazing. Somehow, <laughs> because we don't think about it. But, right. And so every time we do a movement, we are implementing the movement without regard to the head and eyes, let it happen naturally. Then I'll make them delay. Then I'll make them move the head and eyes quickly. Okay. So then we just start stacking more to that. So, for example, you might do your 180, and then I say, now do undo the 180. Okay, yeah. so rather than doing a 360, undo it. You know, so if you right. turn to the right, now you got to turn back to the right. Okay, so, yeah. and we, we implement the head movements. So there's a lot to it. We have a side protocol, you know, a side series where we do it sideways and turn, and then we implement head and all the different things. And then we go into like a T-step out of it. Okay. And so there's a whole series of them. We'll have to sit down and go through it there sometime. But yeah. because I'm looking, I'm looking for more feedback. Like I need more people to tear it apart and say, well, yeah, but you're missing this. Right. And that's what I've been. I've just been so fun. It's been a couple, about two, three years now. And uh, I'm just getting so, even in my garage. I mean, you've seen my garage. Yeah. There's a whole two car garage. I'm doing it in there with really short movements. And athletes are like, holy cow, this is harder than I thought. I'm like, right. yeah, but that's what you do. That's how you have to move. So that's awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun stuff. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I'm always intrigued by the new things that you're working on. And something else I think that's important to note is versus the guy that like tried something today and then is talking about it on Instagram. You know, you've been doing this for two to three years. And really just now, if I started hearing you talk more about this stuff. So I love that, that you're actually like fleshing it out before you're just like, oh, yeah, this is this thing. And I think you should do it, too, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I got guys in my street, you know, my street in front of my house doing it because I don't. My yard is too bumpy. There's too many. I don't want to break an ankle. But I got them going on and they're, they're like nobody falls. 
but because they're going to some maximum, there's, there's stumbling. I got a professional tennis player. He's like turning and I'm thinking, holy cow, he's struggling. And that's what he has to do. He chases a lob, right? Right. That is the movement and yes. the head delays, right? I yes. mean, and that's what it is. And then sometimes the head leads it. So it's perfect for him. And he struggled one side to the other side. I'm thinking, there you mm. go. And he's like, yeah, I got to work on this. So that's it's kind of cool. cool. That's yeah. cool. Okay. So one last thing, and then we're going to talk about some mistakes, but man, you and I, I know both enjoy using the bands. I officially, I'm putting it out there. I stole them from you, but man, I love using them. I think there's a lot of benefits to it, but man, I just see so much hate on the band training here lately. So could you explain why you like using bands in your programming or how they make you a better coach? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one of the things we always try to do is get the athletes to feel what we want them to do without too much verbalizing. Okay. Yes. So if I have to say too much now, we know from a learning that goes, you know, the, you know, the front of the brain and until it gets to the back of the brain, all the science, you know, once it becomes a, you know, it's kind of like implicit learning. Right. Mm-hmm. So when, when I started using bands, what I noticed right off is the, the impact of the force. So the reaction of that band created a not only a different positioning which was usually positive so they widened their feet if i needed them to or if they were accelerating they pushed and if i need many athletes need to push long enough some don't need to push as long but some need to push longer and be more patient the band allows that to happen immediately without input okay Mm -hmm. immediately just because the band is a form of resistance so now, when I need an athlete to be able to manage mass and momentum to decelerate and or reaccelerate, well, I can play around with the band at center of mass or below, or I can go above if I want to influence more of upper body mass and momentum control, yeah. okay, which we see more with younger kids probably, or your elite pro athletes that are really, really tall and sometimes have a little bit of difficulty there. So either spectrum there. So the band right off the bat gives you and I as the practitioner, as the coach, a way to get the athletes to feel things immediately without too much input. And that's always powerful. And then from a, you know, from a movement standpoint, physiological, we really get them into creating greater stiffness at the time when we need it because if yep. you make a mistake just body weight sometimes you can overcome it but the band's unyielded the band's going to keep pulling yeah so you immediately get a plant angle that fights not only their movement but now the band continuing to pull them yep. so we get better angles and so yeah i just think i mean we could go on and on i just think there's so many benefits from it the problem is and i think the reason people dog any kind of training tool is they don't understand it. Like they're looking at it from one area. They're not yeah. looking at it from a coaching input tool. They're looking at it as, yeah, you know, I could, you know, I'd rather use a 1080 because I want to spend $10,000 and, right. <laughs> right. you know, or whatever those things are. Yeah, no, I get it. And like, yeah. I don't know, I, I just continuously come back to like what works, what makes things easier for the athlete, what allows me to coach less but give better cueing. So, I mean, I just made a short list here as you were talking. It's like, I use it for rehab. If I want somebody to start being athletic again, but I don't want them to go with full momentum. So there, you know, you mentioned this again, momentum control. I love it early in the off season for teaching better postures, better positions, getting them to push, getting them to feel the right things. I feeling position, position specific strength. There's just so many good reasons to use it. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the people, most of the people that want to knock it, number one, they've never tried it. They don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. And number two, they just look at it as another training gimmick. And I think if anybody knows anything about you and I, we're far from gimmicky. We just want to figure out what oh, works yeah. best and what allows us to get the best result in the shortest period of time. Yep, absolutely. And, and I know we've talked about you know, I have a little deceleration series that I do. And for that reason, is like if you get a back-to-play athlete or a, a kid just off season coming back to training and they've been off for maybe three to four weeks, and, you know, you can, you can use the band as a pair of brakes. Absolutely. You know, if you, if you want them to hit a position but you don't want full body weight, use yep. the band. They can still hit it. And then by the end of the training phase, now you're pulling them into it. So yeah, the band absolutely. Can just, yeah, it works each end of the spectrum. I love it. 
I love it. All right. So now that we've covered some new stuff, I want to discuss some coaching mistakes that we see because I'm always fascinated by this. I think the more that that I coach speed work and a little side note here, I was thinking about this, like people ask, oh, well, how long have you been into this? And, you know, I've, I've read your stuff and followed your stuff. I mean, for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, but I really got serious about speed training in probably 2012. If you remember you and Lee or you and Lee, you and Nick yeah. came to IFAS and did that speed course. And so, I mean, that's when I really got serious about it. So one of the things that I'm always learning is and better understanding the mistakes that I've made over the years. So let's start with linear acceleration and coaching linear acceleration. What are the biggest issues you see when people are coaching linear acceleration? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say one of the big things is we've got to be patient. And this is we've got to be patient with the dry phase. Now, again, I'm not just talking track, okay, because yeah. your tennis player that has to go chase a, an angled drop shot, maybe has to cover 10 yards or whatever it may be, even eight yards, what happens is we automatically assume that they should be turning their feet over really fast. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear coaches often say, you know, quicker, 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 you know, pushing quicker. Well, what happens is it would be like jumping, but never straightening out your body. Right. right. So you're kind of cutting it short. So when we accelerate, we have to learn to be patient and push. And now patience is relative. I'm not talking yes. about multiple seconds. Right. I mean, this is nanoseconds of time, but right. you've got to allow the push to happen. Now, how do we do that? One of the ways is to take advantage of the upper body, namely the arms. So if the yeah. arms are long in its extended, you know, be, as it's going behind me, when that happens, that allows more time for the opposite leg to push. Okay. Yes. So, because it's going to push. So, and, and if, if I push hard and I have a really short arm action and a short drive, I'm going to create rotation because I need offsetting forces. So yep. if, if we're going to be patient, we have to allow this length to occur. Now we have to look at various athletes because I have, I've had some athletes that are so they're like, whatever you say, they're going to do it exactly like that. So if you say push longer, I mean, they're pushing for as long. They're almost like bounding. Right. And then that athlete, I have to say, well, OK, now we don't want to push that long because now you're creating rotation. <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah. So it's I think one of the big things is making sure that they're, they're patient, you know, and they push hard. So if you're going to go in five yard, maybe you're, you're testing their five yard or 10 yard. Let's let's use 10 yard because that's more yeah. uh, probably more popular for people. If let's say, Mike, you ran and you did it in seven steps in a quarter. So you you almost got there in seven, but not quite, not right. not quite a half. And I said, all right, that's seven and a quarter. And I'm like, well, geez, you know, you took you could easily you're more than strong enough. So we might do a band resistance like we just talked about. We might do a few other strategies. I want to get you at six and three quarter steps yep. as soon as I can. That is what I mean by pushing with patience push longer, get your body to move. And it might feel slower to the athlete, but when you time them, they're actually going faster through space, you know, their their velocity. So that's a big thing. And the other one is I kind of mentioned, you know, many young coaches that are, or not even young coaches, older coaches that are not performance coaches and don't study speed. They want everything at 90 degrees at the elbow. Mm. So again, that short arm stroke never allows a longer lever being the legs yeah. to finish their role. So yeah. I think we have to, yeah, we got to understand allowing that to open up. So one of my cues is, you know, throw the hands. And I just came up with that a long time ago. I just, from watching, I think it was back watching Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis and all I'm watching. I'm thinking, gosh, their hands just explode behind them way back yeah. in their pinky, their pinkies come up above their shoulder height, you know, yeah. when, in the backside. So you know, so I think those are the two main things is just being patient and, you know, use the arms, let them, let them work for you. Yeah, no, I know I've used that cue before of like throwing the hands, but to circle back to that idea of patience, I think that's so critical. And you see this a lot, I think just with a lot of athletes that have been told that maybe they were slow or that they're not explosive. And I don't just see it in acceleration. I'm sure you see it in like a lateral shuffle too, where they're doing these like quick little jabs and they're not covering any ground. Or when they're trying to jump, they're trying to like dip super quick and they never allow their body time to load, right? And so it's such a great, great cue to be patient 
and allow the body time to kind of load itself so that it can explode going forward or up or wherever direction you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. You got to push. You got to because, again, you're changing inertia. Yes. You know, so when you're doing that, you can't do it quick. You know, yes. you just can't do it quick. Now, if I were to drop off a box and I wanted to jump really fast, get the last hit, that's different because I've built some some action into it, some energy. Yep. But when you're in a standstill, all of a sudden you got to go and move. You got to allow time. So it needs longer force. And then every step, it gets less force and more you know, more elastic. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So now let's talk a little bit about linear change of direction. So one of the big issues that I see, whether it's say a lunge stop or like a jump stop or anything of that nature is that like a lot of athletes don't understand that they have to find their heels. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you'll see them take 20 steps on their toes to chop it up, but I would love to hear what issues do you see when people are coaching linear change of direction or linear deceleration? Yeah, yeah, because we're we're always taught, and you were, and I was, we're always, you know, be on the balls of your feet. You know, yes. Get on the balls of your feet, don't let your heels touch, right? That's always yes. a thing. So, but if we just look, you know, at, at basic science, okay, so if I'm running forward at a, at a decent speed, and there's the threshold, right? If I'm, if I'm, you know, you know, two yards in front of you, and you said, Lee, just do a little hop step and a jump step, I could probably land on the balls of my feet and be okay. Right. I could manage that. But if I'm game like and I'm moving in a game and reacting quick and I have to jump stop or lunge stop or whatever it may be, if my heels don't touch, that means I didn't get enough of my shin, which is going to be the first shank to start absorbing force. Right. Yeah. The heel's going to hit. The foot's going to hit. But then the longest next shank is the lower leg and then eventually works its way up. That has to get out in front of me. Yes. If it doesn't get out in front of me, in front of my, my vertical axis, if we look at that center of mass, if it's not in front of that, it's no different than me trying to push straight down when I'm running forward yep. off acceleration like we just talked about. Pushing, it's the same thing. I almost have to be patient. I got to allow the heel to touch the ground, and then I absorb the forces through that. Yep. And we have to understand it's it's the human makeup. That's what I'm not – if we were um, – what is it? A flamingo with the knees go the other way. Yeah. That might, you know, that might look different, but in our case, we need to get our quads involved to help decelerate. Obviously the hamstrings, the glutes, everything else get involved, but we need to be able to decelerate, but we have to touch the heel so that then we can absorb the force. Because if we hit the ball of the foot, now I've got all the joints in the feet. I've got the joint at the ankle, the ankle joint itself that are just kind of lax. But yep. when the heel touches, and you typically touch in a dorsiflex position, it's kind of like a water skier, right? Yep. Tips up. You yep. know, we go, so we hit that way. Now I've got some stiffness there. I've got some stability. And then we can, once we, upon contact, then we kind of glut in the knees, glide forward, everything glides forward, then we can stop. But yeah, if you go balls of the feet, you know, and you chop your feet. Now we chop our feet for specific reasons, but in terms of just being able to stop, we have to be able to make sure we have heel contact. Otherwise we are going to jam. Yeah. As a trip form or triple jumper, long jump, jamming is when the ball of foot hits and you just collapse. You, know, you can't <laughs> hit it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think it gives you a newfound respect just working with, I mean, I know you and I both work with a lot of basketball players, but just the tremendous amount of strength that they need, especially if they get going downhill to stop in a lunge stop or to do a properly executed like step back. Man, there's so much strength, so much decelerative ability. So when people, it's funny when people say, oh, those guys aren't strong. Well, maybe not in the weight room, but if you imagine the forces that are going through their body to plant and cut and do the things that they do, they're pretty freaking strong. They are kidding. They are kidding. And they're, and you're dealing with levers that you and I don't have to deal with you <laughs> right. when you're right. six, eight, trying to stop that body. I mean, I, I move pretty well, but I'm 5'10". It's like yeah. I'm like a little, you know, little chipmunk moving around these guys. Yeah, we're midgets compared huge. to them, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's move on and let's talk a little bit about lateral acceleration. What mistakes do you see when people are coaching, say, a shuffle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so a shuffle is, is, it has its own unique gait. Yes. All other forms of gait, backpedaling, you know, lateral run, running, everything has a cyclical pattern. Each leg replaces itself. In the lateral gait, it looks more like a bicycle, okay? The front wheel never gets surpassed by the back wheel, yeah. okay? hopefully. Right? Yeah. But so as I'm shuffling, I need my front leg to serve a purpose. And that's the purpose of that is to be able to 
buy time for the back leg, the major pusher, to get back into position and try to keep speed going as much as it can. So when I push hard off the back leg, and like we talked about earlier, I need to finish it. I need to be patient. Now, in order for me to finish the lateral gait cycle, the feet are going to come close together under the center of mass. Otherwise, if we take these little pitter-patter quick steps, which can be used if I'm just doing positional movement, like kind of like a tennis player on the baseline kind of bounces until, you know, they know what they're going to do. But if if I'm trying to stay up with you or not let you dribble past me, whether it's soccer or, you know, basketball, whatever, I, I have to push hard with that back leg. Once that finishes, the front leg has to be able to take over and it's going to cycle through and pull. So the mistake that I'm seeing is coaches are saying, nah, don't let your feet come close together. You got to keep them (laughs) apart. Well, again, that's like never allowing the cycle to finish. Again, it's like saying, let's go ahead and jump, but you can't ever straighten out. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So we want to allow that push. The other thing is in training now. In, in the game, your hands are going to do something different. But if you want maximal efforts during training, we need to allow the arms to time up with the legs. So the legs kind of move almost like in like a really flat oval. Yep. You know, the cycle, because they don't cycle way up and down. They kind of sure. cycle. Well, the arms kind of do the same thing. It looks like you're flying. The arms match it in the same pattern. So we, if my athletes are not doing that, we try to get them just to relax their arms and let them go. Now, if they're a tennis player, lacrosse athlete, that's different, right? Sure. But, well, the most part, even a basketball player, when you see them like hands are out and they're moving, you'll kind of see the arms waving, but that's it's matching the force that the leg needs in action-reaction forces. So, yeah, those are the that's the big thing is they shorten their stride and they don't let them use their arms and they don't let them, you know, let the, the, the leg finish its complete cycle. They want them to stop short because they think bringing their feet together is going to hurt them, hmm. which we know it doesn't. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Very cool. So we've got our shuffle. And the way I always describe this to my athletes is a shuffle is, okay, this guy's moving at a speed where I can stay in front of him, I can match him. A crossover is like, okay, this guy's got me by a little bit here, but I think in a step or two I can recover, right? So I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I see the crossover coached so many different ways. What are the biggest issues that you're seeing when it comes to coaching this? Yeah, well, so now when we go to the, you know, lateral run or the crossover, now we're talking about back to a traditional gait. Mm-hmm. where the back leg eventually becomes the front leg and the front leg becomes the back leg momentarily. It's not as complete because the upper body doesn't allow it because of position. But yep. if the issue you see what's happening is when the front foot isn't allowed to do what it wants to do, it wants to be able to be a pusher. Yep. Well, when it's a when it's kept perpendicular to the direction I'm going, So if I'm moving to my right and my foot is held straight and I'm kind of almost like an ice skater or not a a hockey athlete, you know, I'm kind of blading. Yeah. They have to. If I do that, I'm not really pushing until the very, very end simply because the shin angles aren't allowed to be optimized when my knee clears and opens. So I turn my knee to the right. Now my shin angle can push down and back in the direction I'm going versus down and back of the way that I was originally facing. So right. an ice skater, right, a hockey player, their shin is in front of their body and they're going to use adduction, right, to push. Yeah. Well, that's just so much less effective for somebody in footwear versus somebody in skate. So when we don't allow the kneecap to clear, now we don't allow space for the back leg to clear through because now I'm able to use my gait, right? I'm able to right. drive that left leg. If I'm going to my right, my left leg would drive through nice and low, and now it can push down and back. But when we keep the front, and this is what's commonly taught, they they, they call it edging. They want to use the in the outside of their front leg and help pull until they can push, and then the back leg kind of drives up high and then pushes down. I'm like, well... If you were a track sprinter and you or you were coaching a track sprinter, you wouldn't teach that. Like you would right. teach them to drive hard down and back and low. Well, technically, a crossover is a track athlete 
trying to run as fast as they can. It's just that they have to keep their chest squared to make a play, right? Yes. Not to lose orientation. So what we need to be able to do is almost if we can video and block the upper body, we need to look at that lower body and say, how close can we get it to the model of acceleration, knowing it won't be perfect? Yeah. And then block the lower body and look at the upper body and say, okay, now for orientation, we need to be able to keep those shoulders and chest somewhat square to the opponent or the ball. Right. So. Yeah. So the biggest thing I'm seeing is they're just not allowing clearance. You got to allow the leg to clear space. And when you keep the kneecaps facing the direction, like towards your opponent, you're blocking the, the normal gate and therefore force, you know, the force yeah. gets depleted. Yeah. It's just when I see it coached like that, I mean, I understand the intent, but if you watch people actually play sports, they never actually do that. No. You know, they never do that. They either you know, do a crossover step or they do a hip turn or something to reorient their body versus nobody wants to try and pull across like this impossible angle to try and stay in front of a defender. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no. And, and the other thing is, it, what's, what's funny is I've seen many guys on, you know, their, their videos on YouTube or whatever, teaching it and they'll teach it slow and that's how they'll do it. But the minute they make the athlete reactive, they do just what we're talking about. <laughs> right. And it's almost like all you got to do is watch, you know what I mean? Right. Just watch and see and you'll, you know, and again, I'm like you, I understand what they're thinking. You know, they're thinking, yes. well, geez, why do I want to turn all the way? Well, I'm like, well, that's force production. That's how you move, you know? Right. You know, every action has a reaction. So when that front knee clears, you're getting more force actually in the back leg. Yes. So yeah, they just, they, they just aren't looking at the whole picture. They're looking at it in a little microcosm of movement. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. All right. So last but not least, when it comes to lateral change of direction, and I realize there's a lot of ways you could take that, but what issues are you seeing there? Well, again, I think we're coming down to what constitutes the ability to create immediate stoppage, or we could call that stability, or we could say stiffness, which is a popular phrase right now. We could, whatever we want. So if we're gonna change directions, we, if we start from the foot down, why not use the whole foot? Because now I'm creating more friction. If mm -hmm. I only go to the ball of my foot, I have less, maybe what, three inches or four inches. If you have a big foot, like some of the guys you work right. with there or in the past, these big six, eight, they get bigger foot, but still they are using so much less friction than they could. All right. So if we can get the whole foot on the ground, that's creating more friction. Now, when the whole foot is on the ground and the knee is in the right position, meaning it's forward towards the toes. We know we have dorsiflexion. Yep. Okay, what does dorsiflexion give us at the ankle? That gives us stability. So just from that alone, now we've at least created a foundation where quickness can possibly occur. Yep. So now let's say that foot plants into the ground and it plants wider than the knee and the knee is wider than the hip. And possibly if it's done, you know, if there's a tilting reflex, the hip will be wider than the center of mass. In other words, like the sternum won't be directly over that right hip that yeah. has the leg on plane. It'll kind of be to the inside, right? Yep. So now we have, it's kind of like a pole vault to put in the pole in the ground. It's got a, it's got a plant at an angle. Yep. So that's what we're trying to do. So now if we want to change directions quickly and we create that friction, which many coaches, and you've heard this too, will say, oh, get on the balls of your feet. Don't let your heels touch. Well, the heels are not being heavily loaded. And we know that because the model of movement teaches us that if we put the foot on the ground with the knee pushed forward, that automatically tells us the weight's towards the ball of the foot. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, yep. but if the shin was vertical, now we know, well, we probably got weight towards the heel or more towards it. And that's the same in the weight room, right? If yeah. we want to be directly centered or if we want more weight to the toe, we can just shift. Well, if we load that way, now we have the chance to quickly create stiffness or stability and then be able to re-accelerate out of it. The other problem is, is when that foot plants and I do have full foot contact, the more degrees it's rotated externally outward, the more potential for what I call knee glide. Knee glide is when, so let's say, Mike, we're doing a lateral lunge. Yep. And my foot turns out at, you know, 20 degrees as yep. I do it, or 30 degrees. Chances are my knee's going to follow it. It's going to go at that, and I'll probably shift forward a little bit with that knee. But if the knee stays inside the foot on the vertical axes, and the foot is perpendicular, so everything is locked down. Now the force, the minute the ground 
feels force, it shoots it right back up through the leg. Yep. And then it goes through the hip and then hopefully through the front shoulder. Not yep. the not the one that's the direction we just planted on, the other one. That's where we want the force to go. So in that lateral change of direction, if we can just hit that model, those positions were good. And then anything that steers us away from that, it's pretty easy to see. Yep. You know, like, you know, because you could watch somebody doing a deadlift and say, Oh gosh, right off the bat, mm, right. you can tell they're out of position. Well, same thing when you're watching somebody move, you look up, there it is. That's why, you know, and we don't want to throw the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh gosh, we got to reconstruct this whole thing. No, maybe you just didn't get flat on your foot. So therefore you lost stability and therefore you lost your back. Put your foot down. Now all of a sudden you got stability and you move better. Yeah. And it's amazing too, these guys that have been taught oh, don't put whatever part of your foot on the ground, or they've always been taught to just drive their toes into the ground. How many of those dudes are dealing with just horrific knee pain? You oh, know, yeah. horrific knee pain because they have nothing to ca- kind of counteract that. So all that yep. force is coming through their quad, through their patellar tendon, into the kneecap. I mean, no wonder those guys hurt all the time. It's like you give them their whole foot and you give them a little bit of, of heel contact and it's like magic. They feel so much better. Oh, uh, yeah. The hip gets involved. You know, the, the core, rep, you know, can represent that movement better. You know, everything yeah. happens much better. And and we didn't even talk about the we're reducing the risk of ankle sprain. Absolutely. You know, uh, if you ever watch the videos, if you go back and just YouTube, anytime Jeff Curry sprained his ankle, that's typically what happens. He, he lunged, he reached, he, he put his foot down, extended, heel was high, touched, and, and crank. The thing goes right mm. over almost every time. Yep. And uh, it's, a, it's about staying compact. You know, you got to compact that dorsiflex position and, and hit, and then you're just quick. You're quick like, out of it. I love that word, too. I use that a lot as well, compact. All right, my guy. If you could give one piece of advice to a young coach who wants to get better at speed training and coaching, what would that be? I, I would I would say probably the biggest thing I would say is develop their eyes based on the models of what movement should look like. So if they've done any work at all and they're, you know, if they're in exercise science or whatever, and they've seen sprinting and acceleration and change of direction, all that stuff, if they kind, kind of have that there, if they would spend time watching, I, I had a, I was talking with a coach this weekend and I said, one of the things I used to make my interns do, and even my assistants is I would give them, you know, maybe after three months of training or coaching and teaching, I would not allow them to use their lesson plan. They had to go out and they had to just teach from what they knew. And they like always that. would revert back to what their, you know, what they, their, their strength, right? Yep. And over time, that strength gets spread out more. But so what I try to get them to do is use your eyes during the lesson and let that tell you what you need to do. So if you have an athlete squatting and they're just falling off their feet and their knees are collapsing or they're rounding their back, what are your eyes telling you you have to do? Same thing with speed, okay? So if you're noticing they're not being patient, if you notice their arms are not stroking the right way, if you notice we just talked about lateral change of direction and they keep getting this thing we call sway, Mm -hmm. well, let your eyes tell you. It's showing you. It's right there. The body's leaving you a clue. Can you pick it up? Versus just letting your lesson plan say, well, okay, now I'm going to move on to the next thing. And I'm like, wait. You just watch them screw up, fix the screw up, and go from there. And I think that's the biggest thing. Get their eyes right. Then the programming can be, you know, can be fluid for them rather than just being this steadfast thing they have to do, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is one thing, just to, to tack onto that, one thing that you had told me years ago, and it made such a big impact on me, was just getting comfortable recording stuff, you know. This is not like powerlifting it's kind of what I started with. It's like you look back now, it's like, wow, it's such a slow lift. Like if you couldn't see something in a power lift, like you really need to work on your eyes. Yeah. But speed's totally different. Yeah. So being okay with, hey, I'm just going to set up this iPad, record the whole session, and then go back and think. Even if you don't know how to fix it then, it gives you time where you're not like pressured to know yep. what's going on. It's like, hey, I just I know this doesn't look right. Then you can start to unpack it and you can start to figure out, okay, next time this kid or this athlete comes in, this is what I'm going to do to fix them up. So I think that was something you told me years ago, and it made a massive impact on me as a coach. Yeah, that's and thank you for saying that, because I, I think that's so valuable. One of the things I do a lot now is when we're taking a break. So we just did some drills. If I have two or three athletes and we're going to take a break, I film them. Just like you said, I have my yep. iPad and I film everything. And then while they're taking a break, I'll show them. 
and we'll look at it. And I'm like, what are you guys seeing? And they're like, oh, that was ugly. Or yeah, I think <laughs> I feel, you know, I hit it. I felt better. So, and because we're always giving them just little nuggets of concepts, like yes. this is how you move better. This is how you land to be quicker off the rebound of that. And then, so when I show it to them, they're like, yeah, I can see how I missed it. You know what I mean? Right. So, but they can't feel it always, but they'll see it. And then eventually it becomes something they feel. I love it. I love it. All right, my guy, last but not least, we're going to do our lightning round. So I got four questions for you today. Number one, you've been doing a ton of clinics and in-services lately. I feel like every time I look at your Instagram, you're somewhere else or working with somebody. So if somebody just brings you in for a day, what are you typically covering in those? Yeah. So thank you for mentioning that. And I've been very blessed that uh, people think enough to be able to, you know, want to learn a little bit about what I've been talking about. And uh, so I've been thankful. But if I'm if most places will bring me in and have a specific need, so we'll try to fill that need. Okay. But in general, like if I have a sports performance facility, they just want speed. What I do is it will break down how we will progress out linear acceleration, lateral acceleration, linear change of direction, lateral change of direction, max velocity. We don't necessarily sprint max velocity, but we do all the ancillary buildups that make max velocity possible and better. Okay. So we'll do things like that. And then we start putting in foundational things like this 180 series things, these deceleration patterns and how we add it, how we use a fake throw or a low box, a band to be able to tag it onto a movement that an athlete is struggling with. And we show them how it can not only be used for the athlete that's struggling. So let's say you and I are doing a drill and I'm struggling. Yeah. Well, I might need the fake throw to stiffen up. You might need it just to keep grooving that pattern. It's like, right. you know, it's like the kid who shoots 92 at the foul line, right? Well, it doesn't mean they stop shooting right. foul shots, right? right. So we, we show them that's how, and then the cueing given to me is a lot different than the cueing given to you. You might be told to be more intense, more focused as where I might be told, slow down one yeah. step at a time, but doing it all together. So those are the kind of things. And then we implement my coaching, kind of my coaching philosophy and like cueing when, how we put in different cues and, and how to implement stuff like that. So that's kind of what it is. And then, like I said, sometimes it's very specific to the need. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Number two, you also run your three day retreats out of your house. And I know you mentioned that up top. So what all do you cover in those? Cause I mean, I can only imagine what you can cover in three days of time. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we take, we start out showing them all the, the, the seven movement patterns. Okay. Yep. So seven patterns that we have, and then we show them the model for each one. And we say, this is the foundation. Now an offensive lineman left tackle, his shuffle looks a lot different than the volleyball player, but, right. but there's still force application concepts and, and gate cycle concepts that still have to be consistent. And then, so we break that down for them. And then we video a lot. We do a lot of breakdown of video. We just show them, you know, good examples, bad examples, you know, how we would break it. And then I'll film them as well as we go through it. All right. So that's a lot of it is that it's actually teaching movement. So it's not just showing them this drill, that drill. And right. we do a lot of drills. I give them, I give them a, you know, a suitcase they can take home with them <laughs> different drills. But it's all built on this is the model that you're trying to build your drills around. So don't just throw a drill in that pulls the kid out of that model of movement that we want. So we want right. to refine the pattern. So that's really what the weekend is. We talk about strength. We I pull out like my jump mat and we talk about you know, generating ballistic power versus the elastic energy and our numbers, what we want to see. And we talk about evaluations and I, I show them a bunch of different evaluations we can do for movement and for speed. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a lot more detailed than like a typical one day workshop. It's we really dig in. And then I allow each one of them to go as deep as they want with their questions. And then we we all kind of brainstorm it. So it's fun. Yeah, that's, it's a good time. That's awesome, man. OK, number three, if you could make team sports coaches listen to one message that you had about speed development what would it be the biggest thing is is allow rest if you want to get your athletes quicker even if they're not the best at the fundamental mechanics of it they can still gain a lot of benefits if they would understand 
you know, let's say they allowed it five minutes, you know, even it's not the greatest time, but at the end of practice for speed. Well, let them do a speed skill and then give them a chance to break. So one thing I used to do is they would do a speed skill, maybe one or two reps of it, and then they would go make three foul shots. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. uh, obviously some kids aren't very good at foul shots. So you got to <laughs> put them short. Otherwise, it's right. a 15 minute rest period. You know? Right. So we would do things like that or go do a mobility complex, you know, okay. something that's non-competing. But I think sport coaches they get frustrated because athletes aren't making the kind of plays that they want or they're not getting in position. Well, get them faster. So if you're going to get them faster, allow hard, intense work, short duration, and then longer rest period relative to that duration. So if it's a two second drill, well, you're only, you know, maybe 30 seconds max of rest. You know, that's a long work to rest ratio, but you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of that. I love it. All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Lee Taft? Well, obviously working on continuing to do the consulting and stuff like that. We're working on a new program, kind of an online toolbox type thing uh, we've been working on. But just, you know, between you and I, Mike, don't tell anybody this, right? (laughs) So this is just you and I, right? (laughs) No, what what am I, it's funny, it kind of goes full circle. I'm not totally against if, if an opportunity came up maybe at a team, collegiate, or wherever where I had maybe a basketball or maybe a specific team. I've worked quite a bit like with the Phillies and different, where I had the opportunity to actually see something through. You know, yeah. it can be frustrating. So, like I work with athletes now, most of them because it's going to come one day a week. Yeah. You know, and, some, and then if they miss, now, you know, how do you build on that? So right. my job now is just to give technical proficiency when they're moving but I don't get a chance to really do like I used to. Some athletes I do, but, you know, so that's something that's always in the back of my head. I don't have that many more years, but I still have so much energy and so much that I want to share. If an opportunity ever came out like that, that was right for the institution or myself or whatever, that's something that's in the back burner in in my head, you know what I mean? And who knows? It may never happen, but I just missed the opportunity of take when I was a head coach or when I was a like a, a high school strength coach, and I, when I was at Ball State for a little bit. Now yeah. I could I could take somebody through a system and see it through and get the results that I know we can get. So yeah, so yeah, that's kind of <laughs> who knows. That'd be awesome, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah, and that I think that's one of the reasons that I've gravitated to the the type of work that I have is because at least I have a full off season, right? Yeah. At least I've got four or five months and I can see demonstrable change versus. If you're just getting, like you said, once a week, I mean, it's not that they're not getting benefit, but it's nowhere near the outcome that you know they could get if you saw them more frequently. And that's it. Exactly. You know, as a coach, you're as competitive as anybody else. Yeah. And it's like, you know, as a player, when you don't get a lot of playing time, you get upset. Well, as a coach, I feel like I'm not getting enough playing time. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm not getting them enough. I need to get them more to be able to get a result. So, yeah, it's kind of frustrating at times, but. You know, so we'll, I'm sh- we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure you will find something, my friend. This is like your uh, virtual resume going out to the world <laughs> when this gets posted. Of course, I got to pass it by the boss to that, see if I'm allowed to play. <laughs> that's always that's always true. Well, Lee, you've been awesome, my friend. As always, so great catching up with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Oh, thanks, Mike. And always a pleasure talking with you. But yeah, if they just go to LeeTaft.com, that's probably the easiest. But I'm always I try to stay active, getting free information out on social media. So it's at Lee Taft, pretty much at all of them. The, okay. You know, all the different social medias and YouTube. I try to do uh, speed tips, you know, as much as I can throughout the week and just try to share stuff and get good input because then that helps me know what I'm doing right and wrong. So Yeah, those are uh, such a great resource too, not to cut you off. But man, like those are ones where if you've got 10, 15 extra minutes, don't get on Instagram for the 20th time today. Like go watch you know, a couple of these short videos and it's going to either clarify something or it's going to make you aware of something that you don't know. I mean, I know I personally love those. They're just these little nuggets of knowledge. So if you haven't seen those, definitely check them out. I appreciate that. My pleasure, man. Well, Lee, thanks again for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it. Oh, as always, Mike. Thanks. Hope we can do it again. my friend that does it for this week's show with lee sincerely hope you enjoyed it he's one of those guys i think one of the only guys so far that i've had on the show three times but man he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to speed training and i've 
gone on record numerous times saying that I think Lee is easily 10, if not 20 years ahead of most of the industry when it comes to this stuff. So hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please do me a solid. Share this with whomever you think might benefit from it, whether it's a little league ball coach, whether it's a fellow trainer or coach, whether it's just a concerned parent that wants some great information on how to help their child get faster. If you could share the episode, I would appreciate it more than you know. So my friend, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so much. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.